You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, the podcast by writers with day jobs. Hi, I'm Kelly Daniels. And I'm Dan Lipman. And this is the Personal Rejection Letter podcast. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing pretty well. I have some Good. engine trouble in my car. The engine light came on and my cruise control stopped working at the same time. And I'm puzzling over whether they're connected or just general sort of deterioration. Were you cruising when that was happening? No, the engine light came on right after an oil change. So I want to blame the oil change people, but they're going to deny it. Yeah. And then on my way home, I always hit the cruise control at some point. And uh, the cruise control light comes on, but then the set speed light won't come on. And so there is no cruise control without the set. You know what I mean? It's just, Absolutely. it's mocking me this like, yeah, it's on, it's working, except for the function that it has doesn't work, but everything. So uh, troubling days for me in terms of for uh, working riders, always, always car trouble. I, I have outlived a uh, check engine light once. I just, I just outlasted it. I never checked the engine. And then finally at some point it gave up. Nice. It's my advice to you. Hey Kelly, guess what? I wrote a brand new story. No. Did you? I did. It's about Walter White and Jesse from Breaking Bad. They're the main characters in it. <laughs> That's, that seems like some sort of a copyright infringement. I don't know. I mean, are you allowed to do that? Absolutely. It's called fan fiction, and I'm going to get it published. Really? Where are you going to get it published? Kelly, I'm going to answer that question and even ask a whole bunch more about fan fiction. But first... What is that strange sound? It seems almost like paper being crumpled. The... That's the crumbling paper indeed, which means it's time for our revision segment. Ah, yes. Where we go back and fix all the mistakes, not all the mistakes, but some of the mistakes that we've made in previous episodes. And we might What's be making, on your plate? We might be making new mistakes as we correct old mistakes. And then in some future That's episode, so our revision will be the revision of the revision um, things could get pretty trippy on this podcast. That's You never know when you follow the creative rabbit down the rabbit hole where it's going to lead. The last episode we did, I didn't, I haven't really found anything that has uh, jumped out at me. So I just kind of came up with something. Well, it doesn't mean there's n- nothing wrong. It's just, you know how revision is. It you, you could be writing a novel and then months or even years after you start it, chapter one all of a sudden shows its flaws. It takes a long time. You're talking so, about my novel, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm talking about a novel, one's novel, I, one's fan fiction novel. So I, I thought of a, an earlier thing. It just kind of started bugging me yesterday, and it was our conversation about self-publishing. Um, and uh, we got into a discussion, and I don't, I don't know that it was a disagreement so much, but it was a back and forth about the difficulty or the impossibility of really breaking into some kind of big readership with a self-published book. And I said something about how well the the uh, big houses ha- pay a bunch of money for regional distribution, regional salespeople to get into Barnes and Noble. I don't know if you remember that. That was my rebuttal, but I thought it was an incomplete rebuttal in that that's like getting books into Barnes and Noble and into independent bookstores is not really the main thing. I remember you said distribution is all online now. And I was trying to say, yeah, but that's not really even the point because that makes it sound like self-publishing and big house publishing are on equal footing. And it's just whoever has the best book wins. And I was trying to make the point that no, the the odds are so stacked against the self-publishing and the small press publishing and what I was missing was that it goes far beyond 
um, sales managers and that get books into stores. Um, but it also is the way that you get a book. It's a whole system. The publishing racket is this whole system that has a lot of moving parts. And so it starts off with the New York Times book review and the L.A. Times. And and if you're really hot, you get a starred review. And then it goes down to all the other newspapers and it sort of filters down this large hierarchy. And without that, you're not going to get sales. And it goes even beyond that. And um, it goes into authors doing interviews that are really just plugging the book. And it starts with fresh air and it goes down that whole hierarchy. And then if you really have a popular topic and you're, especially if you're photogenic, then you go on the Today Show and et cetera, et cetera. And you go on TV and then there's a whole hierarchy of television spots. And all of this happens based on how much money the publishing company is putting into any particular book. That's what a big book is. It's like a decision from top down that this is going to be our big book. And I'm afraid that a lot of us writers and readers think that it's more organic than that, that it's just, oh, the best rises. And and I think it's, um, to use an overused word, it's rigged. (laughs) And so I felt like I didn't make my point very well. And and there's even one layer uh, in... Beyond that is that book blogs, back when the internet was young, book blogs were truly independent. Like somebody just would start writing a book blog and they would review any old book that they happened to want to review. But at some point, and they would get huge audiences, but soon as those book blogs got big audiences, they started getting advertisers. Right. And guess who the advertisers are? Oh, the big publishers. And then as soon as the publishers, publishing houses started advertising with the blogs, they started yeah. saying, these are the books you need to review on your site. And it wasn't a question and it wasn't a suggestion. It's a demand or we're going to pull our funding and uh, it better be a good review. And so, right. and I get this from Book Slut, that one of the earliest bloggers, and she was, this interview with her, she was talking about how the, basically the book blogs have just become another branch of the advertising wing of the major publishers. So all of that stuff conspires to make books that sell tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or even a million or so copies in ways that if you're not plugged into that network, it's virtually impossible. So I remember talking to a friend of mine who owned a, an independent bookstore and he said that he had one table, you know, they have, they call them petting tables. They have like tables set up where there's books kind of displayed not on the shelf in, in a different way so that patrons are coming up and touching them and flipping them open and stuff like that. Petting well, them. even that, that's, that's valuable real estate to, uh, to booksellers and they paid to be on those petting tables. And this guy was telling me he only had one table that he just, that he himself put the books that he was interested in, that he was trying to recommend to customers. All the others were paid for by the, uh, by the booksellers, even the independent booksellers paid money to be on the petting tables. No, it's just reality. I mean, I'm not even going to characterize it as sad or happy or, or, or even try to fantasize in a perfect world. Um, but that's just how it is. And good. It's good to know what, what the rules of the game are, if you're going to play the game. And I feel like I've been playing the game for going on 20 years without even having the foggiest understanding of what the rules are. And I'm just starting to realize it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We hate the game and not the player, especially when the player is you. Correct. What about your uh, revision, your revision? I would like to revise one sentence I, I said, which uh, I left a participle dangling. 
<laughs> I said that's what the, it should have been to whom my gaze smoldered upon. <laughs> you that, didn't say episode that. three. Uh, the you fans know you're Josh that. and us. You're pulling our leg. Is it one collective leg or do we each get a leg? Pulling our legs. Yeah, that's a lot of pulling and a lot, a lot of, of you have like tendrils sort of pulling all our legs. Um, yeah, that's you shouldn't the- dangle participles, man. Even just the word dangle. I remember working at a reading and writing center. Yeah. And I remember the lady that ran it, this old lady, this old grammarian. And we're all talking about problems with sentences. And like, that was, that was the cop topic of conversation in that place. She, yep, that's a dangler. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those days. Well, Kelly, let's talk about the topic at hand, fan yeah. fiction. More specifically, it's, you know, I don't have an issue with fan fiction one way or the other, but more specifically, does it have a use in the classroom? Hmm. And you're a teacher of, of writing as well. And I have found over the past couple of semesters, there, there's always a, um, a kind of genre that everybody's writing. And when I first started teaching uh, fiction, everybody was writing spy stories. I don't know why exactly. Maybe Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had inspired them. But lately, it's been all um, Game of Thrones type stories with the fantasy and stuff like that. And now, the past two semesters, it's been fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And and the stuff that they're writing about are video game characters and vampires and um, stuff that I don't, I'm not aware of in the culture anyway. So half the time I'm not even aware it's fan fiction. But then when the workshop gets going, somebody would be like, well, I played this uh, game and you, you made a mistake about the character. She's actually, uh, I don't know, you know, she carries a gun, not a knife or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I'll say, listen, we, we can't be, you can't be turning in fan fiction to the workshop, it's, it's sort of unethical. You have to create your own characters, but the students are challenging me on that. Why is that? And you know, I always fall back on the well. You're shortchanging your own experience. You, I mean, you can start with a borrowed character, and of course, we're all borrowing all the time anyway. But at some point, you have to put your own spin on it. That just otherwise, you're short circuiting your creative process. But but they're challenging. They like to write stories about characters that they're already familiar with. Yeah. Well, I learn a lot. One thing I do like about teaching is uh, you keep plugged into uh, youth culture a little bit more than you would be otherwise. I'm an outsider for sure, but I get what they're, at least I get a taste or, or a, the surface level of what they're into at any given point. And fan fiction is one of those mysterious areas um, but I just ask them, and they like to tell me. They like to know something that the professor doesn't know, and that's right. fair enough because they know a lot that I don't know. And so I've asked them, and and I just didn't understand how it all worked and why people did it. And I still don't know the actual places where they publish. I, I know it's websites, um, but uh, one kind of just really straightforward student just said, "It's um, you can do it, as, but you can never monetize it." And that's how he put it. I think he was a business major. That's one thing I could say. You can write this all day long, but if your dream is to make some money doing this and to get some respect, this is not, you're never going to do it because it's illegal. And so you can play along. I don't know. I, I, the thing is with fan fiction, I wouldn't even notice the difference. And so as far as a teaching tool, um, maybe my students are doing it all the time and I don't even realize it. I think mostly they're not. My students just seem to understand that they're supposed to be making up their own characters. But what's the difference between using Walter White or a character named, um, you know, Richard Black, who is right. just like Walter White? 
and who has a meth lab and was not a chemistry teacher, but well, I guess the chemistry teacher was important to the plot. Um, so I don't know. The difference between almost copying and completely copying is barely existent sometimes. And so my my bigger question to you, Dan, and just to myself, what about beyond it as a teaching tool, what about as a strategy to become an author? Obviously, the one example that everybody knows about is the woman that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. Eventually, she got rid of the vampire part of it, but kept, you know, and and made this, uh, you know, kind of softcore porn story that was so successful in spite of being written very poorly from any kind of workshop standard. And that, that shakes your confidence in the workshop. <laughs> My confidence level in workshop is already pretty shaky. Well, I think it's good to practice and it's good to get some feedback from For some sure, other yeah. people. And that's what a workshop offers. Um, the fact that the professor is the person who's knows more and has read more seems to be getting less relevant because the kind of quality that we learn doesn't seem to be valued by the culture. And we're, we're in this period of culture where expert expertise is scoffed at and ignored for the most part. And so the fact that I'm an experienced writer who's studied it and read a lot of stuff and written a lot of stuff matters less than it probably, I think it should, but you know, that's kind of where we are in culture. So uh, anyway, what was I saying? Yeah. What do you, what do you do? Like, is it a good way to try to become a famous writer these days? Or is it, was it a one shot and nobody else is really getting famous? The well, then, yeah, session. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think you, I don't think it's a, it's a pathway to getting published for sure. Unless you change stuff or if you're appropriating with a purpose. And I try to impart that to the workshop as well, that like you can write about Walter White, but there needs to be a reason if it's satire or if you're trying to make a greater point or something like that, that's even legal to do if you appropriate for, um, for a greater purpose. I mean, the example that I, I well, I, I told you this story once we were on a long bike ride, but I'll, I'll shorten it for the podcast about the student who asked if he could turn in a, a Bible story, a story that was um, basically a retelling of something in the Bible. And I said, of course, it, you know, obviously that's a, that's people have been doing that in fiction forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but basically what he did was he just copied the story of Job without even changing a single word in it. And he even changed the font on the, um, on the page so that it looked like the Bible and he had two columns going down, like, like the Bible uh-huh. and the other students. It's like found, are, it's a found story, <laughs> right? They were outraged. In fact, some of them had, had, uh, Googled it to find exactly which Bible he had copied it from. And, um, I found myself sort of defending it as a kind of an art piece, you know, and that we talked yeah. about how Andy Warhol just had, his clients send them Polaroids and he would just forward them onto his silk screener. And he never really saw a lot of the uh, portraits that he, that he made until they were unveiled and, you know, and he would sign it and that's an Andy Warhol. I'm sure uh, that's what your student was doing. Really an homage to Warhol. Sounds like it. Well, I, I found that I was defending it more than he was, but partially because I told him it was okay to do. I didn't really understand yeah. what he was doing. Jim Crace wrote a great – do you know Jim Crace? The yeah, writer? I love Jim Crace. Me too. And did you – I can't remember the name of the book that's retelling of Jesus. Called Quarantine. Uh, Quarantine. Yeah, that's a great book. It's fantastic. I love how Jesus is the least interesting and least important story or character in the whole story. Right. He's just this like nobody who just kind of wanders into the scene and then becomes mythologized by these other 
interesting characters. Yeah, it's a terrific look at it. Since we're talking about Jim Crace, and we'll go back to the subject, but th that's what's so great about this podcast. One of the many things is how free-ranging it is, but you should read, have you read Continent? I think that's his first book, right? It I think might be. I think that's the one I haven't read. I think I've read everything else he's written, but uh, not Continent. Yeah, it's terrific. It's seven short, well, they're short stories, but it's all about a brand new continent. It's all links and stuff. It's, it's um, I tried to bring Jim Crace to Augustana College here. I got a hold of him, and he was visiting. He's a British bloke. Yes. And um, he was coming to the United States to do some stuff, and he answered my email, and we, and I wanted to get him to confirm, like, you know, eight or nine months ahead of time, because that's how we do it. And he was sort of shocked that he had to make a decision so quickly, and he just said no. No, I love Jim Crace. I, I yeah, the, the, the you read the house. The woman, the woman's body decaying throughout yeah, the Yeah, being dead. Being dead. That's my favorite title. One of my very favorite titles ever. And the dead oh. characters, there's two characters murdered. And spoiler alert, they're murdered on the first page, I think. But And it's also called being dead. So there's like living characters and then there are the dead bodies. And the dead bodies are more interesting than the living characters. Just... <laughs> yeah, the, excruciating detail of the decay is, is uh, <laughs> totally interesting yeah awesome um fan fiction i thought fan fiction was something else a little bit dan i thought that it was you took a world and a characters that are written about in novels or novel series like Harry potter and stuff but you're mm -hmm. saying it's mostly video games and television or is no, it's all this just anything famous like you get anything to just... that's already out there I, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you that in my workshop um i've had people write write stories based on things that happened in video games so it, it's the world and the character that already exists in the video game and then they just wrote a story around it i don't know how much of it is from the video game because I, I didn't even know it was a video game so hey do you want to join my new fan fiction club it's now scarred we're going to write about <laughs> Right. Carl Uwe Nausgaard and his brother Ingve, and we'll have him have the, do this different uh, adventures, and maybe we can go back in time before his dad died, and maybe it could be an alternate one where his dad doesn't die, he quits drinking. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I think that is, you know, like Nausgaard is writing fan fiction. It's just about himself. <laughs> that's what I tell my students. I said, write fan fiction about you, and then we'll just call it fan fiction and. Uh, <laughs> It doesn't have to be quite as dirty yeah. as all the fan fiction you're right. There's another aspect of fan fiction where there's like a lot of like uh, sexual erotic scenes and stuff between characters, you know, that, that in, in the regular, I don't know, how do you differentiate what's not the, that the uh, originator author wrote is not in there. That's, it's another, it's sort of a fetish. There's a fan fiction fetish section. How about interspecies sex, like, you know, magical, like elves? having sex with Carl Uwe Knausgaard. Oh, my Does that God. sound like a good mashup? That sounds great. The elf think... princess in Lord of the Rings somehow goes to Norway and meets uh, Ingve first and has a little affair with him, but then Carl Uwe comes in more handsome, more famous, and, you know, it's a little problem, but it all works out, and it's very hot. I need you to start speaking a little bit more slowly. <laughs> Well, maybe the answer is, is that at some point, you know, you in, in these workshops, you tell your students uh, if you're going to write fan fiction, part of it in the revision has to be you alter it enough so that it becomes an original work. If yeah. it's not trying to do something on its own, if it's not trying to make a point. I think as far as class goes, as long as students are writing and practicing, um, a few of them are pretty good and maybe they're not too far away from writing 
what I would consider publishable work. But most of them aren't near there. And I'm thinking they've got a good 10 years of solid practice before they get there. And I tell them that and they kind of go, oh, great. Or they don't believe me. But yeah, right. That's how long it right. took you, buddy. But I'm greater. But I think that if if it's just your practice, if it's your warm up phase, why not fan fiction? Especially if you're doing it online, you're posting it, people are reading it and giving you feedback. My earlier question to you about it being a strategy to get published, I I was going in a different angle from the one that you you took. My example was the woman that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. By the time she wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, she had hundreds of thousands of fans from writing fan fiction because she was apparently good at copying the Twilight series and just doing it online. So the reason why she got the monster book deal is because she already had hundreds of thousands of fans who were just chomping on the bit, ready to buy whatever she wrote. And so the publishers were like, okay, this is not very well written, but she's already got a fan, fan, so let's publish it. So my question is more, can you use fan fiction to develop a fan base so then when you finally do break out and write your original thing then you've already you're already there you know you don't have to uh just you already have a quote platform that was a question i mean yeah. is that is, so is she the, is she oh, the only one that has ever done this or are other people getting famous by doing following her path i i'm not i've never heard of any other case whenever somebody talks about the getting famous that way or getting a book deal that way. She's the only example anyone ever mentions. I think we've talked about her like three times already on, on the podcast. Oh, she needs to be on every hash, ev- hashtag on every single right. um, episode when we... Well, at some point, we're going to have to learn what her name is, I think. It's something James. It's E.L. James. Just- Erica, Erica Mitchell is her real name. So it's half E.L. Doctorow and half Henry James. That's right. what she's really going for which is i think and those are clever those are two writers who are who i are very very erotic writers i can see why they, yeah. especially james yeah he just really gets there man they're uh, well it's simmering beneath the surface very very a very low simmer people looking at each other standing there wearing like a lot of clothes for pages pretty hot stuff if you're into that in, into the slow burn i am so what have we decided? We're going to allow it in the workshop. Should we put it in the syllabus? Uh, no, I'm not. You can do whatever you want. And all of my listeners can do whatever they want. I'm not here to uh, control anybody's lives or pull anybody's leg. I'm going to go along with you, say no fan fiction. In fact, that's what I have done. But I always appreciate when somebody is sneaky about it and then tells me later, which happens a lot. What are you working on? What are you reading? Who are you reading? How's the teaching going? Uh, the teaching is going fine. We're about to hit week eight in a 10 week term. Week eight is the hard is when things really get kind of busy and I'm having a, a writer come to campus. So I'm gearing up for a busy week. Who's um, the writer? John Holman, a novelist oh. and short story yeah. writer. Um, cool guy. Latest book is uh, out with Dezank books and it mm-hmm. is called Triangle Ray. And Triangle Ray, it's about a character named Ray who who kind of grows up in the research triangle area of North uh, Carolina. And uh, anyway, it's good. Good stuff. And so he's coming. And it's, you know what? My reading and writing is really in a weird, weird, un, unsteady 
unstable place. And that is I'm having such a hard time focusing on any one thing and I'm jumping from book to book. I started reading a uh, a light thriller, if like a funny thriller. I've never really read anything like that, but it was sort of cheap on Kindle. So I gave it a try and I'm trying to, I don't know, it's okay. It's, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm really just noticing how thriller writers hook it's not no big secret how you hook readers with like, you know, in this one, it's like the, the woman that you grow to like wins the lottery. She, some horrible um, white supremacist militant people steal her lottery ticket and beat her up. And she wants to use the lottery money to buy this big swath of land that they're going to develop. And cause she doesn't want all the animals to be killed in the forest. And so she, so she pairs with this cool heroic sort of guy and they're going to go after the bad guys to get the lottery ticket back. And, you know, it's like, you gotta, I totally want her to get the, and you know, she's going to get the lottery ticket back by the end. You just know that that is the promise. And so anyway, I'm reading that. Do you want to say what it's called or, or. uh, Yeah, it's called. Lucky me, me, because you win the lottery and then she gets beat up. And so it's like ironic. Um, and as far as my writing, I what I what I attribute to this kind of uh, difficulty in focusing is uh, the election and the new president that we have. And I just think that um, everything that came before, everything is is painted in a different light now. Everything things that were important before don't seem important now and new things are important and so the the thing I was working on, I wasn't quite sure if it really mattered anymore, and I'm not sure what does matter and what doesn't. And so I, I'm doing a, a pretty insane thing, and then I'm working on two, I started two book length projects, and I'm, I, for the last couple of weeks, I've been going back and forth between them. One is like a book length personal essay, and the other is a more of a light hearted thriller i'm sort of trying to learn how to write a thriller sounds good it sounds interesting yeah so one of them is more heady and more literary and the other one is lighter and when i i feel like i get fed up with one i just the next day i'll start on the other one and that one seems kind of fresh who knows how long i can go with this but um that's what i'm doing how about you dan uh well for me i mean the election's been bugging me too obviously well we as we record this the inauguration or the coronation was yesterday and so uh, there is sort of a cloud hanging over everything, just depressing. And uh, But I'm reading a book called Snow Country by uh, Yasunari Kawabata. It's a Japanese book. It's, it, it was originally it's in this haiku style. I think it's from the 1940s or 1950s. And I just started it, but uh, I've been enjoying it. Um, it was recommended to me by my wife, the writer Molly McNett. And uh, the writing, you know, I'm writing, I keep a diary. You keep a diary or a journal, anything like that? No. I have all my life. I started in 1979. And um, this year I thought I would try to do, approach it a little bit more differently since it's my, it's the year I turned 50. I thought I would try to write down everything I do, regardless of how meaningless or how um, just tedious or, so it's only been 21 days of the new year so far, but I have been, I've been keeping up with it pretty well. I assume I've missed some stuff, but that's, it's actually turns out to be a lot more time consuming than I thought. It seems like it would take exactly the amount of time that it takes to live. Like, how do you have time to do anything 
when you're recording every okay it's that borges yeah it's the borges story story where the guy makes the map that's one-to-one scale to reality (laughs) <laughs> right. And he's also got the he goes to the library that's got all the books in it. He finds the book with uh, every page is another book. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I love Borges. Hashtag Borges. There you go. Um, that sounds cool, uh, Dan, that uh, you're uh, you've been a journaler and that uh, you're you're recording everything because this is your age 50. Um, maybe that will be my my age 50 book. You know how those my year of not taking a dump and then right. and it becomes a book that seemed like I'll it be, was a, that was a bit of a trend that, that kind of rose and sank pretty fast, but maybe you could bring it back up and, and maybe everybody will jump on the bandwagon and start writing my age, this, and, and pretty soon everybody, every age will be covered. Right. Um, and then that will be over, but then, you know, you got a good 80, 80 like books no out impact, of it. The, the no impact man guy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but I that was one of those books. He had yeah. no impact on the environment for yeah, a year. Yeah, he just did. except that he wrote a book, and you know, lots of trees were killed to yeah. print it. How about just my year of just standing still and slowly thirsting and starving to death? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. It, the problem is, it didn't last a year. It only lasted like a week, but you know, still sounds good, man. Did we cover everything? Is that our podcast for the day, Kelly? This was fun. These are always the most fun part of my week. Wow. I wish I could say the same, Dan. No, I'm just fair. kidding. I left you hanging there. You made yourself vulnerable and I just stepped on you. That's me. That's what writing is all about. Stepping on the vulnerable. You are the publishing world and I'm the artist. <laughs> no, I enjoy this too, Dan. And um, I look forward to the next one. And uh, maybe we could go for a bike ride. It's a beautiful day today. That would be awesome. All right. Thanks, Everybody out me. there, enjoy your lives. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Subatlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.